You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right, good morning. Uh, yeah, all right, good morning. My name, is, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, I'm just going to move this out of the way because I know I will trip on that. Um, yeah, I'm one of the pastors on staff here uh, at Anthem, and so I just, uh, yeah, praise God. Praise God that we get to come together and worship and pray and seek a God who hears us. Amen? That's good. It is it's good to be here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapters 18 and 19. That's where we have two chapters this morning. We have a lot of content, okay? So I'm going to warn you on the front end. I told Stan that uh, I said I get, I get 50 minutes, right, because I have so much content, and he... <laughs> He didn't answer, so I I just, I don't know. Uh, But but, so we have a lot that we're going to go through this morning. But as you're as you're turning there in your Bibles, um, some of you maybe if you if you've grown up in church, you kind of know like you know what's coming, because this morning one of the one of the things we're looking at in in the passages that we have is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And some of you, again, some of you, if you've, if you've been in church for very long, you know what's coming. You, you know it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, know, I know what's coming here. It's like, it's like if I talked about the flood, which I did, and, and uh, you know, it's like, oh, we know, we know what's going to happen with the flood. But, and and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of comparisons with, with the destruction of Sodom and the flood. I think the only, as I was thinking about it this morning, it's like I don't know of any nurseries that have pictures of Sodom and Gomorrah on them. But, uh, you know, it's, which, you know, whatever. It's, uh, they're, but they're both just massive displays of God's justice. Massive displays of, of God's wrath against, uh, against the wicked. And yet, lots of times when, when we look at passages like the one that we're going to look at this morning, it, it seems as though what we do oftentimes is e- either we look at these passages, we look at these places in the narrative of, of, of Genesis that we're looking at, and, and, we try and we try and downplay the, the mercy of God and, and hold up the justice of God. And we see, 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 look at that. Like, like see, look at, look at the, God's wrath on the unbelievers. And we, we don't really know what to do about the mercy part that we see. Or on the other hand, we, we, we downplay the justice of God and we lift up the mercy of God. And, and we, don't know, we don't know what to do with passages like this. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And so, so what we do, depending on what camp you're in, one, one camp really loves the Old Testament. Because, because it, it, you know, we, see, we see like those people getting what they deserve. Right? We, see, we see those people getting the wrath of God, and I think lots of times we, uh, you know, it's like, well, that's those people, that's not me, right? Because if I, if I check the boxes, and if I do everything that I'm supposed to do, then God and I are good, right? That's, that's how that works, right? And, and I think lots of times we, we look at it, and we, it kind of justifies our harsh behavior uh, to those around us. We say things, which I've said it before, too, we say things like, you know, we need to, we need to hate the sin, love the sinner. And yet lots of times what, what the world around us hears when we say that and what we do when we say that is we actually end up hating the sinner until they're, until they're appropriately removed enough from the sin that they're, that they're trapped in, that they're dealing with, that they're struggling with. And on the other hand, 
We get people who, you know, hold, like make a lot of his mercy and less of his justice. And, and those, that camp of people, maybe you're in that camp. And it's like the, the Old Testament kind of makes you uncomfortable because, because from your perspective, from that camp's perspective, it's almost like I don't know what to do with that. I don't know. The, the God of the Old Testament just doesn't look like the, the Jesus of the New Testament. And I, I don't know what to do with those things because, because you know, it's like it, it, my God is a God of love. My God is a God who wouldn't do those things. My God is this and, and that. And, and yet, really what we're saying is my God is not this God. So I don't know what God that is, but it's not this God that we see and we don't know, how to, we don't know what to do with this God. And yet what I want us to see this morning as we go through these passages, these chapters that we're going to go through, is that God that we see in Genesis, which this whole series is, we entitled it Introducing God. God that we see in Genesis is not only the God of mercy, but is the God of justice. And he's not only the God of justice, but he's the God of mercy. And that is good news for people who need justice and mercy. And yeah, amen? That's good news this morning. So we're going we're gonna to jump into this. Um, chapter 18, starting at verse 1, says this. And, and I, I just want to say up front, we will not hit everything you want me to hit. Okay, so just, just lower your expectations maybe a little bit. Or, or use this as an opportunity. If you're not in a connection group yet, get in a connection group. All right, we, connection groups meet throughout the week uh, in, in those smaller group settings. Maybe you're going to talk about, like, Luke didn't even touch on this. It's like, yeah, I, right, I'm telling you, right? So, so get into connection groups because that's where a lot of that stuff can get unpacked and life happens and all that stuff. So if you want to know more about connection groups, ask me. Ask somebody. All right, chapter 18, start at verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now, this is talking about Abraham. We're going to find that out in just a second. But verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Let's, let's just stop there. First of all, I think it's, I, I find scripture humorous. You know, you read through these, and lots of times it's like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, we, we don't think about how funny this is because we're just so familiar with it. I mean, have you ever been at a restaurant, and you order a hamburger, and it takes them a long time to get the hamburger, and you're like, what'd they do, butcher the cow in the back? Have <laughs> you ever been in that situation? This is, that's literally what happens here. Abraham, he sees God. He sees these three people, and, and we don't know for sure. We don't know, uh, like, solidly if he knows that this is God or not. We don't, we don't know for sure. But by his actions, we see that Abraham is doing something. He's portraying something. He's, he's elevating these visitors, and he's saying, look, I am your servant. I mean, you see that there? He, he says, let me bring some water so that you can wash your feet. That's, that's what a servant would do. He runs and, and he goes to say, he asks the guys, he says, can I just do this for you? Can, you would honor me if, if I could just bring you a morsel of bread. I, I don't know why he downplays it, but then he goes away and he like makes a feast. 
As these guys are, as, as God, I mean, God knows what's happening, but if it were me, I'd be like, man, what, how long does it take to get a morsel of bread in this place? This is crazy. He, he runs into Sarah, and he says, quick, get three seas of, of fine flour. See, when the, the first thing that we see there is this, this idea of uh, this measurement and the description of what kind of flour that Abraham is wanting to bring to these, to these men, to God who has visited him. We see in, in Leviticus uh, Leviticus 24.5, where it describes the type of bread being brought into the temple, the bread that's to be brought before God. It was the same type of flour used in here what Abraham's using. And not only that, but, but the, the sayas of flour, like three say, one saya of flour, I find this super interesting, is about 1.6 gallons of flour. Now, I'm not a cook or baker. I guess that would be the proper term. I'm not a baker. I don't know how much flour. I even Googled it, and they're like, yeah, we don't know either. I don't, so I don't know. I don't know how much flour goes into a loaf of bread, but I'm guessing it's not almost two gallons of flour. Maybe it is. Maybe that's exactly right. No? Okay. I didn't think so either. And he says, quick, get three of them. So he, we're, we're talking about almost six gallons of flour for three people. Like, I think there's, I think there, there is, uh, there's importance in this. The type of flour that he said, the amount of flour, then he goes and he doesn't just get like a goat. He doesn't just get something that's lying around. He doesn't get leftovers out of the refrigerator and like, ah, baloney and ketchup, that's good enough. Like he, he goes and he gets a calf tender and good. Again, the description used in the food that he is preparing for his guests is the same description, descriptors given to, the, to the, the things that were presented to God in the temple. You see, and then, and then what happens when he brings them this food, this morsel of bread turning into a feast fit for God himself as he brings this? Do you see where Abraham is in relation? He doesn't just sit down and be like, hey, so where are you guys going? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't assume that he is on the same level with these people that are visiting him this day. He stands by. He stands at attention waiting to do, waiting to see if there's anything else that needs to be done, waiting to see if there's anything else that he can do, waiting to see if there's anything else that his masters need, need of him. See, I think what Abraham is doing and what he's revealing through his actions, that by his actions, he is giving honor to God. I, I, I think um, this past week I was realizing that I think Facebook anymore, the, the only thing Facebook is good for is just watching funny videos. Anybody there? Nobody. Okay, that's I I I I just get a kick out of some of the, some of those videos, and it's funny when my dad and I get together, we just laugh and you know, and just have you seen this one? And just laugh, and it's like, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it twenty times. It's still just as good. But I, I saw one on Facebook this past week where um, it was it was like toddlers, like two year olds, talking back to their parents, and it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, somebody laughed out loud, right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like funny, not funny. Because it, in that, it's like you see these, you know, you see the parents being like, hey, don't you do that. And they go, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like they don't know what they're saying, but the attitude is there, you know. And some of the kids get real, you know, and it's like, who's this, who, who are their parents, you know, because they're like, you know, they snake neck, right? right? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's like the, these toddlers are like, blah, 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 blah. but like it's funny when they're two years old, isn't it? Some of you are like, no, that's still not funny. It's, it's kind of funny when they're two years old. But what's not funny is those two-year-olds don't stay two years old. 
And it's really not funny when you see, maybe it's not the same two-year-old, but, but those kids grow up and now they're on a different video on a different show, like Dr. Phil, right? And that's really not funny. When the parents are saying, I don't know, I don't know what to do with my 14-year-old. She just wears clothes. And it's like, who's buying those clothes for? You know, it's like there's this, there's this disordering of authority. And we see it even in these funny videos of a two-year-old, but we really see it in the, in the videos of 14, 15, 16-year-olds where it's just a disordering. And see, I think what we see here in Abraham's actions and what he's doing is he is properly putting himself under the authority of God in his life. You see that? He's saying, what, I want the best to give to you. I, I, I don't want just you to have leftovers, and I want as much as you, as much as you want, God, here it is. Here I am. And, and I got to thinking about this. It's like, man, what do my actions show? Do my actions reveal that I have a proper understanding of this ordering of authority in my life? What I do with my days, what I do with my time, what I do with my finances, what I do with my family, does it show that God is the proper authority in my life, that what he says is right, that he is the, he, he is the judge that he is the one that says, if this is wrong, then it's wrong. It's, it's just wrong. You see, what Abraham does is he stands in attention and he says, God, you are, you are Lord over me. It, the, let's keep going. The story picks up. Verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now when Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At this appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. That's how I hear it. <laughs> like Sarah, I mean, Sarah's like, hey, hey, I, guys, I, I didn't, I didn't, like, no, no, but, but you did. See, I, I think that when we, when we read this, I think Sarah has good reason to be laughing. Right? She, she has good reason. It says even in the text, like, they have been promised a son. They have been promised an heir. They have been promised children. And if you were here last week, uh, Stan kind of talked about that a little bit. If you weren't here, you can go online and listen to it. But they've been promised this. But they, they were promised it 23 years ago. And now they're in this place where, where it says that the, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She can't have children anymore. Uh, humanly speaking, th this isn't going to happen. And can you imagine... Year after year after year, trusting, and, and, and maybe you've been in that situation where it's like, okay, God's promises are good, pro God's promises are true, and, and things continue to happen, and it continues to go, and time continues to pass, and, and as years, as days turn into months, and months turn into years, it just seems like maybe this just isn't going to happen for me. And she laughs in the midst of that because it's just like, and, and I don't think this is like, <laughs> you know, like a... Well, that was just kind of a crazy person laugh, wasn't it? Like, but like this isn't like a joyful thing. I, I think that this is more like, <laughs> really? Now? Now 
Am I going to have pleasure now that I'm old? Now, and, and, and I think that, you know, I mean, I, I find so much, I don't know, in, in my I have so much empathy for Sarah. Because I think about, like, like you know, we talked about last week, her, her sin of saying, hey, Abraham, go, go sleep with Hagar. Maybe you'll get a child. through like, like, what would bring somebody to a place where it's like, hey, maybe, maybe this is how God's going to do this. Maybe, maybe this will bring me contentment. Maybe this and, and, and over and over and, and again and again, trying to find that contentment in other things except for the promise of God. And maybe she's in a place where it's like, yeah, I've done too much. I'm disqualified from the promises of God, maybe. And so when God shows up and she laughs, like if I were God now, if I put myself in God, which, I, you know, that doesn't even work. But, but if I were to try, I think I would just be done with Abraham and Sarah. Right? I mean, you, you have Abraham laughing in chapter 17. You have Sarah laughing at him in, in 18. I think if it were me, I'd be like, you know what? You know what? Let's just, let's just scrap this. I'm going to go visit George in the next valley over. I think George and his wife, Becky, they're going to make a better, you know. It's like, like you laugh at me one too many times, Abraham and Sarah. And yet he doesn't. He is the God who is merciful, and he brings Sarah to a place where he doesn't just, he doesn't just let her get away with it, but he calls her out, and he brings her to this place where she has to answer a question in her own mind, in her, in her own life, doesn't he? What's the question he asks? Is anything... Too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for God? I know what your situation would say. I know what these years of waiting would say. But, but let me ask you a question. Is anything too hard for God? I mean, the God that we've seen so far in Genesis, the God who spoke and, and whales appeared, like the, the God who spoke and, I, I don't know, I mean, just think of it like deserts appeared and mountains and valleys and all these things just appeared. Like, is anything too hard for that God? Is anything too hard for the God who, who showed incredible patience to Cain? Is anything too hard for that God? Is anything too hard for the God who, who sent a flood over the whole earth and saved one family? Is anything too hard for that God? And he says, Sarah, I know what your situation would say, but you have, to ask this, you have to ask yourself this question. You have to come to a place where you say, okay, God, you are God. You are Lord. And, and I don't even understand my situation, but I do know that your mercy is enough for me. You are the God of mercy. We, we read on, and I love it. She says, I didn't laugh. He says, no, but you did. Verse 16, then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, he's talking to Abraham now, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, we're not going to dig too far into this, but what God is saying here is he's saying, all right, I'm going to let Abraham know. We see the, the purpose of him, him coming. He's saying, I'm on my way to Sodom. And, and their, their sins, they, again, we, we saw in chapter 13 that Sodom and Gomorrah, this, this area, they were great sinners. And finally, the, the sins of these people have gone on to a point where God says, all right, now I'm going to show up. 
I'm, I'm coming into the situation, and the ending is not going to be great. Verse 22, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. You can can read on at verses 27 through 33. I I find it so interesting that Abraham goes from asking about 50 righteous to 10. He he keeps saying, can I just one more? How about, how about if there's five less? How about if there's 10 left? How about if there's 15 less? And he gets to a place where he's saying, how about 10 if there's 10 righteous? Now, I think, I think that one, Abraham is thinking about Lot, his nephew, who we're going to see in just a few, few minutes. His, his nephew is in Sodom, and he's thinking about him. But also, I find it so, I don't know, just so incredible that, that, that Abraham... Even though, even though he, he, he elevates God to this place of Lord in his life, he knows the character of God well enough to say, I know you, and so I'm going to ask for these things. I know your character. You love to save. You uphold the righteous. And so I'm going to ask for the righteous. I'm going I'm to intercede on behalf of, of them because I know you. And he goes on from there in, in chapter 19. So, so God says, if, yeah, if there's, if there's 10, I'm gonna, I'll save the city. Then we get to 19. It says, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. And they said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Let's, let's just stop there, okay? Now, I think, it's, I think we have to, to look at the fact that in this city where God says, hey, their, their sins have come up to me, their sins, I can't, I can't just ignore them any longer. I can't pretend like it's not going on any longer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit them. I'm going to come into this place, this city of great sinners, and here we see Lot, the nephew of Abraham. He's, he's sitting in the gate. And if you've been with us very long, if, you've, if you follow the, the Genesis narrative of what's happening, you know that there's a progression we see Lot following. In, in chapter 13, we see that Lot settles among the cities in the valley. Abraham says, hey, there's, there's, too, there's too many things that we have. We need to separate. And Lot says, okay. And he looks towards Sodom, this place of great sinners, and he sees that it's like the garden of God, and, and it's well-watered, and all these different things. And so he's like, I'm, I'm going there. And he sets his life on a trajectory towards Sodom. In chapter 13, he just settles in that valley. In chapter 14, we see that he is dwelling in Sodom. And here in chapter 19, we see that Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. See, the progression goes from, I'm just going to be in the area, now I'm in it, now I'm really in it. I, I, when, when it says that he's sitting in the gate of Sodom, this, this is a position of, of kind of authority in, in ancient cities. The gate was a place where the elders would come and they would hear, uh, they would hear arguments and they would make decisions about things. And I, like, I, I don't know if this is true, so I'll just put that out there. But my, not what I just said, but what I'm about to say. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think of it like Rotary Club. 
Now, some of you may be in Rotary. My, my sister's in Rotary in, in Kirksville, and I hear about all the things that she's doing and all the things that are happening. It's like, man, you really love your community, and that's awesome. Like, she's talking about all the community development stuff and all these different things, and it's like, I feel like that's what Lot's into. <laughs> it's like, like, I'm just, I'm around it, now I'm living in, now I'm in Rotary. It's like, wow, you really care about your community. No? Maybe that's not what Rotary is about. But, but that's, like, that's, where, that's where we find Lot. He's, he's in the city gate. He's, he's in this position where he's, where he's presiding over things. And, and we see this progression not only in the life of Lot, but in Scripture. We see that when we, when we set our lives on a trajectory, it's not going to be too long before we wind up where we're heading. In uh, Psalm 1, 1 through 2, I have it up on the screen. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We see that there's, there's this progression. Blessed is the man who, who walks not in the counsel of the, like, it, it keeps going on until you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. And when we look at Lot, and when we look at his life, and we look at the trajectory, we see that he looked, he saw, and he went in that direction. And oftentimes, we do the same thing, don't we? We look, and we saw, and we think, well, how did I wind up here? And it's like, well, if you rewind the tape, if you take steps backwards, you know exactly how you got there, because that was the path you were on. Ravi Zacharias, we've used this quote quite a few times, but I love the quote. He says, sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Let me say that one more time. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's, it's possible that Lot, he was maybe asking the same thing. How would I get here? It's like, well, because you set your eyes to that place. And where your mind goes, where your eyes go, there your body will go. He, we, we read on, he, he brings these, these angels who he thinks are men into his house, verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do, do to them as you please. They said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then he pressed hard, they pressed hard against the man Lot and he drew near to, they drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they were themselves out groping, they wore themselves out groping for the door. All right, now, now when, we, when we read this passage, a lot of people will look at this passage and they say, well, you know, the, a, a couple different things I think we need to address. People will look at this passage and they say, well, they, they were just upset because Lot uh, didn't follow the customs of the city. Right? When, when somebody, maybe, maybe it's possible that when someone came into the city, they would bring them before the city council and be like, hey, here's my friends, George and Joe, and they're going to hang out with me tonight. And they'd be like, oh, Good, you know, great, have a fun sleepover. And, it's like, and, and so some people are like, oh, that, that must be what's happening. They're like, we just say, hey, we want to know them. We want to get coffee. But we know from Scripture that's not what we see, right? That's, that's, not, that's not what's happening. 
And we know that because of Lot's response. Now, there, there are cultural implications to this, and there are other things that we're probably not going to get into this morning. But Lot responds by saying, hey, I have two daughters, which is messed up, right? I have two daughters. Let me bring them out to you. They, don't, they haven't known a man. Well, not, if, we, if we think they just want to get to know him, his daughters know him. So it's not just that they don't know a man. It's that they haven't known a man in the way the Bible says. In the way the Bible says that, that Adam knew his wife Eve and she got pregnant. It's like, you don't get pregnant by getting coffee, right? That's, if you need to have that conversation, that's another, me- that's another message. But, but they have sexual rape in mind. It says, says these men, from the, from the greatest to the least, they want to know them. It's the same word in each sentence, in, in each case. And, and they have this, this level of depravity, this, this level of sexual immorality that, that goes beyond goes beyond just knowing, right? And it goes beyond the, the fact that they, they desire to know, the, all the men, they desire to know these men. And it, and it goes beyond, like, when, when they can't get to them, what do you, what do you see? They're, they're like, okay, Lot, we're going to do to you worse than what we're going to do to them. And, and, and so when they can't get to the, to the angels, they, they, they're threatening Lot, and Lot gets drug in, and, and then the angels, the, the men at this point, they think they're just men. They, they bring him in, and they strike everybody with blindness. If, if I were in this case, which, again, you know, it's, there's a lot of different messed up parts of this, but, but if I were in this case, and I was doing something that wasn't right, and then I got struck blind, I think I would be like, okay, done, right? I, I'm done. I'm going home if I can find where home is, right? I've been here too long. But what do you see them doing? Stan, we were talking about this, and it's like, they don't stop when they're struck blind. It says they wear themselves out searching for the door. They are so intent on this level of sexual immorality. Their wickedness has gone to a point that that this is what we find, that they are so intent on on having sex with these men. And yet we we look at this, and we know that the the carrying out of of homosexual desire, the carrying out of of same-sex intercourse in this in this context is part of of what brought Sodom to destruction. We see that throughout scripture. I have a few up on the screen. Jude 7 is one where it says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And then 2 Peter in the New Testament, first chapter 2 verse 7 says, and if he rescued Lot, Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. So, so what they were doing, there is sensual conduct. And then verses 9 through 10 says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. So we know that from, from Scripture, we know that, that what's happening in, in Sodom here in Genesis 19 Part of it is the, the result of this, this, these same-sex desires, these unnatural desires in this context. And yet, we can't just stop there. Actually, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. 
See, I think that when we, when we look at Sodom, lots of times what we want to do is we say, well, the, the reason Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed was because the, these men, they were, they were indulging in this. They were, they were self-focused. They were, they were wanting this sexual exploitation. They are these same-sex relationships. And yet when we look at Scripture, it's not just that. The, the people of Sodom were in this downward spiral of sin and depravity that included pride, gluttony, self-indulgence, self-focus, sexual depravity, despising of authority, and that all culminated to this moment here in Genesis. We see the same type of progression when we look at Romans 1. I'm only just going to uh, take part of it. You can read the rest of it, but Romans 1, starting in verse 21, Paul writes this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, became, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the, creator rather than, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. You can, you can go on and read that passage, read that chapter, and you see it just continues to spiral out of control. See, again, it is the same sin. When, when we look at Sodom, when we look at these other passages, it starts with this denial of the authority of God. The denial that God is, is the one who is just. That he is the one who gets to say what is right and what is wrong. It's the same sin that we see in Eve in, in Genesis 3. When she looked and saw and she said, you know, I know what God says, but this is what I want. And so I'm taking it. It's the same sin that we see in, in Cain. And when he decides what type, of, uh, what type of sacrifice to bring before God. Not what God says, but what I decide. It's the same sin that we see right before the flood when the attitude of all men's hearts were wicked all the time, going after their own desires, uh, going after all these different things. It's the same sin that we see there over and over and over again. And yet what we often do when it comes to this story is we say, see, see God's wrath is poured out on Sodom because they were gay. The truth is God's wrath was poured out on Sodom because they were sinners allowing themselves to be driven by their own desires. Now, don't get me wrong. The Christian sexual ethic, God's plan for sex, is for one man, one woman, for one life. In the context of marriage. Right? In, in the context of marriage, that is what, that is what the Bible says that, that, that sexual purity is. And anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And so what I don't want you to hear me say this morning is I'm not trying to say that, that same-sex attraction and, and homosexuality and, and all these different things. I'm not trying to, to say, no, no, that's not what Sodom's about. That's not what this is about. So, so don't, even, don't even look at that. It's fine. It's okay with God. It's, you know, we can put that in it. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is lots of times, because I don't struggle with those things, I, I downplay the other struggles. I, 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 I play up this part. I say, oh, that's the unforgivable sin. But, but my struggles, whether it's greed or lust, or, or, but, you know, that's not that big of a deal. But what we see when, when we look at that, if we think 
right? I mean, yes, yes, you can look throughout Scripture and you can see over and over and over again this desire for God and, and sexual purity between one man and one woman for one life. But if you see your addiction to pornography or your lust or, or your having sex outside of marriage or your greed or your gluttony or your self-focus or, or anything else in this, if you see that as less deserving of God's judgment, then you're missing the point. Right? It would be, I was thinking about this, um, Joe, where are you at? I asked Joe if I could use him as an example. Where you, all right, Joe. So, so it would be like, um, so Joe's a good friend of mine. You can come on up here. You got to, I don't need you to sit. Everybody else is sitting. All right, so, so if, if I told Joe, I was like, okay, here's what we got to do, right? <sighs> to be okay with God, we need to come over here. Let's come over here to this carpet square. And we got to jump to the other side of the stage, Okay. So I'm going to let Joe go first to see how far he can get. I told him, so he is like limbering up. You want me to go first? All right. I, I will. You will? Okay. You want Joe to go first or me? Joe, okay. The crowd has spoken. So let's, let's see. All right, so, so again, he has, to get to, he has to jump to the other side of the stage. Watch your head. Don't jump. Maybe let's move up here. Just one time? You get one, one chance, all right? All right, let's see. You, you can't go running and jumping. Just Broad jump. That's right. Let's see it. All right. Hey, there you go. Joe, 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 Joe. All right. So Joe jumped to there. All right. Yeah, there you go. Woo! All right, Joe. All right, now I'm going to see. And uh, I picked an older guy because I thought I could outjump him, to be honest. So let me see if I can do this. Thanks. Isn't that nice? But, but my mints fell out. But, like, if you, all right, so I got, to, I got to about right here, right? That's about where I was. This is just a little back. All right, if we, if we think about this, it's like, where were we, what were we aiming for? The other side. But I got further. Right, Joe? Yeah. I got further. And I, look at, I can look at Joe and be like, well, at least I'm not there. Right? At least I'm not there. Yeah, I'm not there, but who can do that? And maybe there's somebody on earth that can make this jump. I don't know. Like, surely not, right? There's no way. Like, I can't get there, but no, who can? Who can get there? So you can't, you can't judge me and, and, like, can't judge Joe. Like, who can do better? I, well, I could, but, but, like, nobody can. I'm just kidding. You can sit down. Thank you, Joe. But, like... See, I, even though I got here, that's not there. And I think lots of times what we do is we say, we look at, we look at the Bible and we say, well, but you can't judge me. That's right. That's true. I can't judge you. And yet God can because he is the God of justice and mercy. And, and God says, be holy as I am holy. And so God says, no, this is, this is the measurement. This is the mark. This is, this is what I'm calling you to. And, and I think we can look at that and we say, but nobody can do that. And I think that's the point because, because Jesus did. When we look at scripture, when, when we look at places like 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what that means is that means I can only get to here, which is missing the mark. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. So none of us can get there. But Jesus did. He came and lived a sinless life, and he died for us. And so he 
through my faith in Christ, guess where I get to be? Right here. Not because of anything I did, not because I could jump further. And if, if, I, if I, lots of pe- times people will say, yeah, but through the cross, we get a second chance. Mm, amen. Praise God, we get a second chance. Is that good news? If I jump to here and God's like, oh, Luke, you did a good job. You get a second chance, though. It's like, okay, you know. All right, maybe, maybe I'll, you know, it's like I get to, you know, here. Or I get to here. It's like, oh, man, okay, second chance. Praise God. Because of the cross, I get a second chance. No. Because of the cross in Christ, I am called a child of God. I get to be here in Christ. It, he took my sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. And so what happens is I continue to pursue righteousness, but not to get here because I am here. I, I pursue God, and I want, to, I want to pray. I want to be in the word. I want to, I want to have a better relationship with him. I want to get closer to him. I, I want to hear his voice, but not so that I can become, but because I am. And when we, when we start to downplay other sins and, and start to say, well, but my greed, my lust, it's not that big of a deal, we forget the fact that it is, and it, it is in, in need, desiring, guilty. We stand guilty because of God because we can't get there. And so, so, guys, this morning... When we look at this passage, I think what we see oftentimes is we just see the, the judgment and the wrath. And yet there is, there is mercy in the midst of this too, isn't there? There is mercy. If you, if you keep reading, there is mercy. Verse 12, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, daughters, or, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out to this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters, Get up! Get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife, your, daughter, your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of your city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. We can, we can continue to read there. We can continue to read on about God's mercy to Lot and his family. But we see uh, as, as, as God brings destruction on the city, as God brings judgment on the city, we see Lot is saved. And verse 29 says, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. I love the fact that when we look at this, we see God's mercy, not just his justice. See, we see the fact that, yes, sin is missing the mark. And the Bible says that we have all sinned. And yet the Bible also says that Jesus took our sins so that we could become his righteousness. And when we put our trust in him, we don't have to try and jump harder. We don't have to do it more. We get to pursue from an area of sonship. Not trying, but being. Right? And that's, that's mercy in the midst of this. 
And, and I think that lots of times what we see is, is you know, we, we look at this passage and, and maybe, maybe you're feeling one of two things this morning. I, I got to thinking about this. I think that lots of times we can look at this passage and we can hear a message like this. And I think we can look at it and, and feel one, man, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just I'm glad to see those people getting what they deserve. Right? I'm glad to see those people, or maybe you're feeling uncomfortable this morning because you're still in a place where it's like, I don't, I don't know how God could do that. I, I'm not really comfortable with a God who would, who would bring judgment on people in this way. And, and so therefore, maybe because it's, if you're honest with yourself, you relate to those people more. Right? Maybe, if, maybe if, if God came to Columbia and he's seeking 10 righteous people, maybe you're like, well, I wouldn't make that cut. So I don't know, how to, I don't know what to do with this. You see, the reality is the Bible says that none of us would make that cut. Because Romans 3.10, Paul says, none is righteous, not one. That means none of us is righteous. None of us could make this jump. None of us could do this. And so when, when we begin to understand that in the cross of Christ, we see God's justice for sin, we see how much God hates sin, we see what God does to sin, but we also see God's mercy to sinners. That when, when we begin to see God as the God of justice and mercy, I think that we, we will see, as Abraham did, that he is the God who is Lord of my life. That, that he is the one who gets to say what is right and what is wrong. That, that I can't look and see and say, well, my, my inclination is this. So obviously, God, God is okay with this, right? My inclination is this. And it's like, no, no, God has said what is right and what is wrong. And so, like Sarah, where it's saying, well, I don't, I don't know my situation, you know, all these different things. And he's saying, but do you trust me? Do you trust my mercy? Do you trust my righteousness? Do you trust my authority? And I think when we see God as the God of justice and mercy... We will stop trying to justify our sins. We'll stop trying to hide things. We'll say, you know what, God? I have fallen short, and I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I need you to take me where I can't go. And in that, we are saved from the, from the judgment of God. Amen? So this morning, my question is, what about you? We're going we're gonna to take some time, and we're going we're gonna to do communion this morning. We're going to respond with this. And as we, as we respond with communion, this is what we do at Anthem Church almost every week. But as, as you get up, the band's going to come up. They're going to play. They're going to lead us in, in some more worship. And as they do that, I want to just challenge you. Who is God to you? Is God the God of justice and mercy, or are you still sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this? I, I relate to those people who, who, God, who God killed, so I don't, I don't know what to do with all this. My, my, my plea to you is that you would see God, that you would see his justice, that you would see that, yes, your sin is it's guilty. Your sin is not okay with God. And yet God provided a way for us to be okay with him through his son. And, and wherever you're at, as you, as you just seek God, I want to invite you to get up, tear off a piece of bread. There's gluten-free up here in the front if you need that. Tear off a piece of bread which represents his body which is broken for you. 
And you dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, which was poured out for you. Not so that you could have another try at jumping, but so that you could be secure and where Christ would have you. Amen? And this morning, too, if you're, if you're getting up and you're taking communion, and if you have sin in your life, you're like, I need to confess this. My prayer is that we would be a church that's quick to confess. Because when we confess, whether it's greed, gluttony, same-sex attraction, when, when, we, when we seek to confess, when we're quick to confess, the Bible says that we're quick to find forgiveness. We're quick to find and experience a God who offers forgiveness to those who are struggling with sin. So if you need that this morning, man, find somebody. Find me, Stan, Todd, uh, any of us. Like, let's, let's pray and let's confess and let's find a God who's not only just but merciful. God, I, I thank you so much for your goodness. God, as, even as we go through this passage, I know that there are, God, I feel, I feel so um, inadequate to do justice to, to what you would have for us this morning. And yet, God, I praise you that, that you are the God who is just. And you are, you are the good God who, 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 who you want us to flourish as human beings. You, you want us to flourish. And you have set up a way for that to happen. And so, God, I pray that you would forgive me for times that I have stepped outside of that. God, like the men of Sodom, where, where I have set my heart and my eyes on things that are not of you. And God, I pray that you would forgive me for that. And even as I pray that prayer, God, I know that you are ready to forgive because you're the God of mercy. And you have given your son to take our place, to call us righteous, to call us sons and daughters. So God, as we, as we sing these next songs, as we go to the communion table, God, I pray that you would make this real to our hearts. God, if there are people in here struggling with sin, God, I pray that you would help them to confess it. Don't, don't let us wait one more week struggling alone God, help us to confess and find that you are merciful.